thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself, uh, tell the listeners where you went to college, what you majored in, uh, and what year you graduated. Sure. So I'm Michael O'Brien. Um, went to Washington and Lee University, graduated in 2010, and I studied English and studio art. Awesome. And what were some of the extracurriculars that you did in undergrad? Um, I think the main ones were uh, student government. Um, WNL has kind of, I don't know, famously or infamously, a very strong honor system. And so I participated in one of the two bodies uh, there that adjudicated student issues. Uh, mine was mostly around student misconduct. It didn't get into the honor system stuff, but that was a, that was a very important thing for me. Did that for three years um, I was in a fraternity. And a uh, big deal for me was um, I had an internship with Sally Mann, uh, who's a, a big deal photographer. Um, and that was in the summer before my senior year. Very cool. What did you think you wanted to do when you graduated from college? Oh, graduating from WNL, I definitely uh, wanted to pursue being an artist. I mean, the irony was I, I went to school thinking that I was going to be, you know, like a business major or, uh, or a politics major. I mean, I was like a really good little politics nerd in, in high school. And then got there and uh, fell in love with the English major and fell in love with the studio art major. Um, took my first studio class as a sophomore and was just really, um, really encouraged. And uh, finally decided to major in it. And then finally decided that I should go get a Master of Fine Arts um, after graduating. Knew that I needed some time in the studio. Uh, so I started looking for jobs that would allow me that kind of time and flexibility around work hours um, and that would also allow me to be in an educational setting. So graduating from school, like the, the scope was really narrow. It was, okay, I'm going to go get a Master of Fine Arts. People who graduate with that degree typically go and teach college if they're lucky. I mean, that's like the really plum job that you get. Uh, so I should probably try to be like in an educational environment. So I just looked at schools in the area. The other piece to this is that the the professors at school asked me to be the uh, lab tech uh, for the photo studio. And they said that I could use the lab for that year free of charge after graduating, sort of, you know, build up our portfolio for applications. So I had some incentive to stay in the area. So I, uh, yeah, looked at educational places uh, around Lexington, Virginia. Nice. My name is Sarah Seymour, and I graduated from Yale University in 2018. Like a lot of 20-somethings, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do when I graduated. I remember literally Googling, what do people do all day? And feeling like, unless I conducted a ton of informational interviews, there was no really good way to figure out what different jobs were like. I remember when I was applying to college, there was the Fisk Guide to Colleges, which was this book that described different colleges, what size they were, what the vibe was on campus, and so on and so forth. And all I wanted was for that to exist, but for careers. So this podcast is my best effort to create that through a series of informational interviews. 
I'll be interviewing people anywhere between three and 10 years out of college across different industries to try to help you get a sense of different career paths. Just like you, these people have gone to liberal arts colleges and universities and weren't exactly sure what they wanted to do afterwards. The only difference is they're a few years out of college and can give you the inside scoop on what they were looking for, how they found their jobs, and how it turned out. And so what did you end up doing during that sort of time that you were building your portfolio? What did you end up doing? Yeah, so I I got a job as assistant to the head of school at Stuart Hall School, which is, um, I believe it's the oldest girls boarding school in Virginia. It's now co-ed and has a day component, but it has a pretty storied history. Um, So I was assistant to the head there. Um, For the first year I was there, I lived in Lexington and commuted back and forth because I was doing that lab tech job. And then for the next two years, I lived on campus, uh, which was amazing. I I was in this old house that used to be like a dorm for the girls. And I was on the third floor. There was another faculty member on the second floor and another one on the ground floor. Um, So I had this like penthouse apartment, essentially in uh, Stanton, Virginia, and had a a bedroom and a clean studio for photography and uh, a dirty studio for, you know, sculpture and drawing and stuff like that. And inside of work, like I said, I was assistant to the head. They didn't really, I'm not sure they knew what they wanted me to be doing. They just knew that they didn't want the like old school secretary model anymore. And I also got there and I, I think they saw some potential in me because they, like, I went to all of the administration meetings. I went to all of the board of directors meetings and over the three years really became a kind of junior member of those bodies and could actually like speak up at a board of directors meeting if I wanted to. So I think looking back, there was actually a lot of potential there for me had I become enthralled with education. That did not end up happening. So I, my, my main kind of brain power went to my work in the studio and gearing up for applying to a Master of Fine Arts program and, you know, hopefully killing that and getting into a great school. Yeah. So before we jump into the MFA program process, how did you find the job at the school and what was the application process like? Yeah, I mean, it was so interesting because friends of mine, you know, who were politics majors or were business majors or knew they wanted to go to law school, they had a very clear path, right? Um, and, and I think for some reason I was, well, not for some reason, because I was still a, a nice little politics nerd. At heart, I had a lot of friends who were in the politics department, and they had great mentors there who said, "Okay, you need to go, you know, do this internship at this place, or go go to this place." And that's a foot in the door. For me, there was no real like clear path forward. Like, okay, you want to be an artist? Like, how? <laughs> you know, there's no there's no clear path. Um, and so I just I hit on this idea of educational. Uh, institutions in the area. There was not a central job listing board 
at that time. So I just did a ton of research about what was around and I went to their local career pages. It was a very, 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 very DIY process. And then uh, applied to a bunch of them. Stuart Hall was, I guess, high on my list. Um, so long ago. Um, it's hard to remember, but the uh, the head of that school ended up being an alumnus of WNL, so that helped a lot. <laughs> you know, I, I would be reporting directly to him. And the person who was head of the business office was the daughter of a former president of the university. So the two of them were like, "Oh yeah, here's this young, like bright guy with energy. Let's let's hire him." Yeah, and so you applied online, and then was. Was there an interview process? There was. Um, yeah, there was definitely an interview process. I met, I would say, five people on the ground. And there were probably there were probably two rounds of interviews. Again, this was so long ago. But I probably met with someone up front, and then that person said, okay, he you know, passes the smell test, if you will. And, and then I got paraded around to all these different people in the school who I would be working with. Yeah. So I think one thing that I imagine people would be sort of interested to know is like you were taking this job in part because you wanted to stay in the area because you had the studio space and you wanted to have sort of like a flexible enough work schedule that you could build this portfolio in addition to doing this job. How did you sort of pitch yourself for this job that was sort of I mean, it's not like a particularly romantic story and most people are like not interested in hiring someone because they like have a a side project that this goes well with. How did you sort of pitch yourself for that? Right, right. I'm not even really sure that I remember. I probably talked about my desire to go get an MFA and that I wanted to teach in the future. And so I wanted to be in that educational environment, which was all true, you know, and, and I think the beauty of it is that there were not a ton of people competing for that job who looked like me, you know, who were, who were young men right out of college. It was mostly the old school secretary model. So I I think at the end of the day, I just didn't have a ton of competition for that role. And the story, you know, made sense and was true. Yeah. Okay. And so then you're also sort of building up this portfolio in the background. How did you sort of balance that with this full-time job? Sort of what, what did your day-to-day at the school look like? And then how did that mesh with building that portfolio? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so let's start with what did the day-to-day look like at the school? Um, I think I touched on this earlier, but I, I really think that had I really loved education, I could have become consumed by the job. And there would have been a ton of opportunity for me. Um, That was not the case. I I just didn't end up loving education. And so I kind of went to work in the morning and I left at five. And it was not a terribly demanding job. And so I was able to go home and then work in the evening. And there I was so enthralled with being in the studio and having this time that there were days I would get up at 5.30 in the morning and and continue my studio practice that had been going on the night before. And then 9 o'clock would roll around or 8 o'clock would roll around and I would go to work. And 
do my tasks and always be thinking about what was going on in the studio, you know, and then go back home and continue that. And I think for me, there was some feeling of like not fulfilling my potential necessarily in that. Um, because again, you know, I saw all these friends of mine going to Capitol Hill and having these very interesting, um, you know, going to think tanks or working for senators or whatever, and feeling like, oh, I'm just, is this job just mercenary for me? You know, and there was a little bit of that, I have to say, but at the same time, like the English major that I had gone through was such nice cross training for the, for the studio art major. And I studied mostly like modern um, poetry and learned about people like William Carlos Williams, who was a doctor. I mean, his, his whole gig was being a doctor and he would write in between patients and he would get up early in the morning and write and he would write in the evening and he would correspond with people. And he was, you know, by all accounts, a, a solid pediatrician for his job. So that, I think that was like a, a, a helpful model for me that the job can have boundaries, you know, in your life and it can serve a function. Um, and you look, you look all through literature and, and fine art as well and you see those sorts of characters popping up again and again. Yeah, definitely. So then after three years of working at the school, what, how, what was the application process for the MFA like? <laughs> uh, so different from most grad schools um, or grad programs. Um, no test was required. It, it really came down to a portfolio of 20, for me, photographs. Actually, no, I, I, I applied with um, video slideshows. It was like 20 video slideshows uh, and an interview and two letters of recommendation. My professor wrote a recommendation and Sally, the artist I worked with, wrote a recommendation. Uh, and that's what I got in on. Okay. And how, when you were looking at programs to apply to, what were you sort of looking for? Yeah, I, a great question. In my practice in school, I was so focused on photography. And then what happened was in those time, that three years at boarding school, um, my practice really opened up to things that were not just photography. So drawing, sculpture, like I said, I applied with these, these videos. Um, so I really shifted from thinking I wanted a photo program like Yale, which is like, you know, nine photographers per year who are just making images and are like steeped in the history of photography as a medium to wanting something that was much more ambiguous in terms of medium, uh, much more porous between departments. Um, so that was one. And the, the second was, I just wanted to go to a great school, you know, and, and find, um, you know, going to a great school means that you're in there with classmates who are also of a high caliber. And those become the people that you learn for from the most, much more than your professors. And then second, I did want, you know, you know, killer professors um, and facilities and yada, yada. But it was really it was the cohort of people that I was going to be with and um, 
and that it was a cross-disciplinary, very open kind of feeling place. Yeah. So you got into an MFA program. Yeah, I got into a great program called um, California College of the Arts out in uh, San Francisco. I was living in Oakland. Uh, I had just moved from you know, rural, rural Virginia where nothing costs very much. And uh, I was on the meal plan at school and had my living expenses, my apartment uh, paid for. And I was suddenly like, you know, paying crazy rent and paying like $8 every day to cross the bridge from Oakland to San Francisco to go to this MFA program. And I, I sat down within, you know, the first two weeks of school and like hand wrote uh, a tuition check. And under, you know, my like shitty fluorescent lit kitchen with like, pile carpeting that was so disgusting and was like i don't think this is for me <laughs> you know like this this does not feel like um this does not feel like a good investment of resources uh i, I was also very um privileged not to have paid anything for my undergraduate education so i was now going into debt for the first time in my life it was like i don't think i'm going to recoup this money with a job with a teaching job you know, not anytime soon, at least. So within two weeks, I dropped out of that program uh, and and found someone to rent my apartment and packed up my car with all my studio stuff and went back to Houston, which is where I'm from, and moved in at the age of 26 with my parents and started doing unpaid internships in the art world. It was a wild, it was a very, very wild ride. Yeah, I imagine that was a very hectic uh time oh yeah before we move on to the internships was there anyone that you spoke to when you were sort of considering dropping out and i guess you know backing up a little bit in college you mentioned that there weren't weren't really a lot of resources to explain like what it would take to become an artist were there any resources that you relied on because I, I i've spoken with other people who are sort of trying to make their way in in the arts world and have said that it's really just like uh, there aren't a lot of explanatory resources for how to make it work yeah there are not and it seems to me also that um every generation or two sees the game change totally I mean, you know, two or three or four generations ago would have said, and I'm talking like, you know, within like a generation being like five years or or 10 years, um, being uh, like, you got to move to New York. You know, you want to be an artist, you just move to New York, start making work, get odd jobs, make a bunch of friends who are in the art world, start doing group shows. And uh, within 10 years, maybe you'll see some traction, right? These days, the move to New York thing is not, as talked about, I don't think. I think it's still, it could be recommended still for some folks, but you can move to LA, you can move to Houston, you can move to Chicago. Um, there are people in DC who are doing well. So I, I, I think, yes, to get back to your earlier question, there, there were people there for me who were giving me advice. I just couldn't see that necessarily their advice still held. One of the people I talked to um, was the photographer who I interned with, 
and her her feeling was that I needed to spend some money, like I needed to bleed a little bit. I needed to hurt for this, and um, I I don't know. I was too practical to follow that advice. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say. My I talked to my parents about it, of course. Talked to friends about it, and parents, by the way, who were totally supportive all throughout. Or they were they were hesitant. They were a little afraid um, of the the course, but never dissuaded me from doing it. But uh, so they were a good sounding board for me. Um, I don't know. I I it was a little bit like being in the wilderness. I have to say. Yeah. So. You move back home, you start looking for internships. What were you looking for? And then how did you end up finding it? Yeah, I was looking for anything in the art world. Um, And I ultimately, I determined that I wanted to be with a, a commercial gallery. Um, so for folks who not, who are not maybe as, as, um, uh, knowledgeable about the art world, you know, you have your museums that are basically nonprofit and you have your auction houses that are, you know, auction model, and then you have your galleries and your galleries are the ones who are representing artists and putting on shows for them. Work is coming directly from the studio and then being sold to private collectors, uh, museums, etc., um, and I was really interested in that that gallery space in part because when I was in Virginia and so remote and yet so so bonkers about the art world, I spent a ton of time on gallery websites, just looking at what what is their roster like? Do they show only painters, or do they show like a a range of people? What's the age range of these artists? Which which of these artists do I think is like selling a lot and which of the artists are not? And how does that factor into the business model that they have? Which of these artists are showing in uh, museum shows versus not? Down to like what's just the look and feel of the website and what is that trying to communicate to me as a remote viewer, right? So I had a lot of opinions built up about the gallery world in general. Um, and then there, there was also this like more kind of philosophical take on it, which was that I was interested in artwork meeting the marketplace, and and that that it was only, it, it was a very like people vote with their dollars kind of mentality, um, and I was interested in the role of art in society and not seeing that that was so well reflected by a handful of very wealthy people donating money to museums in order to purchase specific artworks for those institutions. I was much, it, it, you know, much more interested in um, that not highfalutin art world, but something that felt more grassroots, I guess. Yeah, so I, I, how did I go about finding those internships? Like, I needed, I knew that I needed to build up a resume. Uh, so at the beginning, I would do basically anything. I worked at a nonprofit. Um, I worked at 
well, several nonprofits. Uh, one of them was I, was, I was sitting right alongside undergraduates who were currently in school. That was a semester long thing. Um, another one, I worked the front desk. That was at a, a Houston Center for Photography. And that actually ended up being great. I made a lot of good friends there who, who I ended up uh, knowing for my entire time in Houston. Um, I worked at a contemporary gallery that I did not care for very much. I didn't care for their program, but it was at least a foot in the door, you know, so I could start to see how these things operate from the inside. And most of these came about through personal references. So my parents were not at all in the art world, but they would maybe know somebody who would maybe know somebody who then I could meet with, have a you know coffee with, and, and they would recommend something to me or either recommend me to someone. Uh, so that's how some of those jobs came about. And then you just start to claw your way in and, and more things lead to more things. By the time I had had those, those few things on my resume, I was able to navigate that art world better. And I had identified five or six commercial galleries in town that I was actually really interested in. And I just sent a cold email. I, I said, I, I know that you're not looking right now but I would like you to have my resume on file uh, if anything comes up in the future. That was kind of the, the gist of it. And, and that was a trick that I had learned from Stuart Hall. That's how I would always reply to people who were sending their resumes in cold. I would say, thank you for your interest. We're not looking for anyone right now, but we'll keep your resume on file for in case we have needs in the future. So I sort of used that and, and emailed these galleries. Um, and the only one that got back to me was um, Inman Gallery, and uh, which was amazing because they are the best one on the list. I mean, they're by my estimation. I'm biased because I worked there for seven years, but by my estimation, they're I think the best contemporary art gallery in Houston. Um, and uh, that position clicked into place because it was like the right skill that I had at the right time for them, which was I knew Photoshop and they were in need of someone who could edit images and file them correctly. That is the reason I was hired. That was it. It was very, very, very right place, right time. It's interesting because sort of going back, back briefly to the sort of starting out in nonprofits, I say to my mentees all the time, admittedly college students that you know like if you're looking for something to get your foot in the door nonprofits are a great place to start it is probably unpaid and like you can try to sort of like when I was in college I had jobs at nonprofits and then would also have a paying job on the side and would you know balance between the two because I could make it work in terms of the timing but it, it would allow me to sort of get those skills and put something on my resume that maybe helped me look more marketable to a paying job down the road. And also like in college, sometimes there are opportunities for fellowships and, you know, sometimes there are state fellowships. So, you know, I think that that's a really good point of like, if you're trying to start nonprofits are a really great place to start because typically one they're more willing to accept the fact that you maybe don't have as much relevant experience. And two, 
at least some of the time, or I would say maybe most of the time, the hours are manageable enough that you can then do other things, whether that is, like, continuing an art practice in the background. I don't know if you were doing that. Or, like, finding a paying job that will help subsidize this unpaid internship. Yeah, there's no question. Those those early years, if you're going a more, you know, non-traditional path, those early years outside of college are like this balance between making those smart decisions like you were just talking about, ga- gaining relevant experience balanced with, okay, how can I logistically make this happen? And what I found was that all of these places I was with, these nonprofits and even uh, the for-profit galleries I was with, understood that that was the nature of the game. And so they were so willing to work with me about, you know, whether it was sitting the front desk, which, by the way, was my only paying job at one point out of three jobs. And so I was like, all right, I need my, my week free so that I can get the experience at other places. And they said, we're willing to work with you. Are you willing to sit nights and weekends to do this job? And I was like, sure, I guess so, you know, and, uh, and that's how I paid the bills. Now I was also living at home rent free. Right. So, and that, that really was the thing that made, made this whole thing possible. If I had had parents who were willing to, you know, pay for an apartment in New York, maybe I would have gone that route, but that was not ever going to be on the table. And so, yeah, it's, it's a balance between making smart moves and, and getting experience balanced with the logistics of what's available to you. So when you started at Inman Gallery, my recollection from the last time we talked is that you actually had a number of different roles. So maybe can you give us a quick overview of sort of how that evolved and then walk us through sort of how the day-to-day evolved as well? Yes. Uh, yeah. So I went on as intern and then was gallery assistant and then was um, assistant director or co-assistant director after the former director left uh, and then was director of the gallery. And um, it's hard to talk about. It's hard to ring fence each of those positions because they kind of bled into to each other like there were projects director type projects that I started as an intern, you know, and, um, and there were then things that, um, I was doing as an intern that then as assistant director, I was then overseeing someone who was doing. So there was, it's kind of like a, a soup of responsibilities over the years. Um, but I would, I think that my responsibilities in the day to day could be parceled out into a few different categories. One would be just the normal work, right? The, the, the do work, the make work, uh, which is an artwork comes in and you have to inventory it. You know, it doesn't take a ton of brain cells to do it. It just needs to get done. Um, keeping up with the email list, um, these sorts of things. And then um, the level up from that would be something like um, more more creative uh brain cell heavy stuff which would be um applying to an art fair you know writing that application um writing a press release perhaps working with a client when they come in the door uh and then like the the top level stuff 
that's visible to everybody would be, you know, yeah, the the let's say the sexier stuff of the art world, like going to an art fair and working that art fair, doing a studio visit with an artist to figure out what their next show is going to be. Um, I organized one one show, maybe two shows uh, while I was at the gallery that I kind of owned, managing relationships with curators and, and collectors. Uh, so those are the three things that are really, I think, people would understand as part of the gallery business. There was the fourth, though, which is all of the behind the scenes business stuff, kind of strategy and, you know, what's, what's the brand of the gallery? Um, who, who are we? Who are our collectors? How do we communicate with them? What art fairs should we be doing? Not how are we going to apply to this art fair, but like, do we need to reassess our like portfolio of art fairs, right? What, what artists should we bring in to do a show because we think they would be a good match with X, Y, or Z collectors? Trying to think of other things uh, like adopting a new uh, inventory database system. And, and what is that going to do for the business, trying to make a, a, a pitch for that and, and then uh, adopt it um, on the team. Thinking about should we stay in our location right now or should we look for another space and what are the, what are the merits of that or what are the risks of that? Um, so, and it's really that category of things that I ended up excelling at um, and that ultimately got me to that director seat in the gallery. Interestingly, not many people are interested in that stuff, I found, at least in the gallery world. Um, so it was very easy for me to, even as an intern, start some of those projects or some of those lines of thought and have real say and have real influence on the gallery. Yeah, so I, I hope that answers the question about it's not it's not quite like what I was doing on a day to day basis, but those were the the four things that my brain occupied. Yeah, and so what were the hours like? Oh, hours were um, pretty sweet. Other than working Saturdays, they were pretty sweet. Uh, got there at ten and left at six. We would do between one and three art fairs a year, and that would be you know, a week of being in New York or, or Miami and just being on the entire time. Uh, and we would do openings at the gallery every six or seven weeks, but that really just entailed being there after that six o'clock and then six to eight was the opening. And then we did dinner with collectors after that. And then you went home. I mean, it's you know not, not terrible. So what did you like about those jobs and what is something that someone might not like, even if it didn't necessarily bother you? I liked, functionally, I liked everything. It, it really helps if you're obsessed. I'll say that. It really helps if you're obsessed. I mean, I liked entering things into inventory. I liked getting bids from different shippers. Of course, I liked organizing shows. I sold a piece to the Museum of Fine Arts. I liked that. <laughs> you know, I liked it all. I liked it all. I think where things started to break down for me was that I did initiate and bring through 
a lot of change at the gallery over those seven years. And I could tell in maybe starting in year five, I was starting to get some pushback. Uh, and that, that momentum in terms of my ability to make change was starting to wane. And um, it was just, it, that was fine. All that was fine. It was just an indication that maybe my, maybe my being at that gallery was going to be a finite project and not a forever job. Um, and that perhaps I was just coming up to the point where I was going to have accomplished what I had come there to do, in a, in a sense. Other things that uh, people might not love and that I, I grew to not love so much, being a small team in a, let's call it, peripheral industry does not, does not give you enough you know, face time, if you will, with what is actually happening in, in industry in general, in the world. And so you start to fall behind. Uh, in terms of what what are the norms, what tools are people using, yeah, yada yada. So like this became very apparent to me when I went through that wedding season that every recent graduate goes through, and I would go talk to the guys who I had known from college, and they would tell me about their jobs and what they're doing, and you know, twenty five percent of it would make sense to me, and uh, that feeling of just generally falling behind or not being as savvy or not being um, as much of an A player as my peers um, was something that I found frustrating, for sure. Um, and all of that pointed me toward business school. That just became a, a very clear next step for me. Okay. So before we jump into the business school next step, where were you getting pushback from at the Inman Gallery, was it? I guess, like maybe I just don't know really how a gallery works. It feels yeah, like if yeah. you're the director, I'm not sure where you're getting pushback from. Oh, I was getting probably probably pushback primarily from the owner, um, and as well uh, from the team because it was it's definitely a team sport, and uh, the the culture there was very inclusive. So if you were a gallery assistant, you were in the weekly staff meeting for example, which isn't the case everywhere by any means, um, but it was the case where I was. And there, I think there was just kind of fatigue about the pace and the amount of change that was happening. And I, I, could, I could sense that fatigue. Yeah. Okay. So then you just said that it was very clear to you that sort of business school was the next step. What were you hoping to get out of business school? And maybe let's sort of talk a little bit more about why that felt like an obvious next step for you. One of the things that I did at the gallery um, that I was super proud of was instituted the, the use of data and analyzing data. I mean, talking about an industry that's maybe behind all the others. I exported 20 years worth of sales data and started to, to parse it and, and go like, okay, what, what can we learn about the business through looking at this data? Um, and that did lead to some pretty significant, I don't know if they were changes, but significant clarity around what we should be paying attention to at the gallery. Um, primarily like get, get, a, get another like big artist 
who will bring in money and, and try to get another big client. You know, it, it made it just made like the financial uh, stuff much more clear um, so that we could we could keep on a solid path. I was proud of that work, but I also at some point felt like I was just kind of playing in a sandbox. Um, I knew there was so much potential there. I just didn't know how to navigate it. Um, and I knew that I would be able to learn that in business school. I knew that I wanted to work at a place that placed a premium on that kind of thought uh, and and ways of making decision decisions. And so business school was like, an education, first and foremost. I think there's a, a rumor out there that you don't really learn anything in business school, and that it's like uh, the law students here call it a uh, two-year vacation, which is hilarious. Compared to their academics, it probably does look that way. But it, for me, it was education first and foremost, and it was a way out. The way that you as a business student, have access to these companies that would never, ever, ever look at you. Just for me, I just landed an internship. So like nine months ago, they never would have looked at me. There are people who come in and get an internship within six weeks, you know, (laughs) and there are companies who they go to great uh, investment banking firms that never would have even accepted their resume before they matriculated at a business school. So that's a huge value. And on a personal side, I, I think, you know, after high school, had, you know, a few friends who were like core people. And then after college, had, you know, a larger group, but, but that group kind of solidified in terms of friend group. And I was interested in meeting like a new cohort of people. Uh, I think that's, that shouldn't be undervalued in terms of going to grad school. Yeah, for sure. So you just wrapped up your first year at business school. I guess let's let's talk quickly about sort of like what the application process was like. Let's see. Application process was study your butt off for the GMAT or the GRE and and get a good score. For me, getting knowing what that number was then allowed me to say, okay, these schools are open to me, or maybe those schools are closed off to me, right? So it helped me narrow my, my, my search. And then, I don't know, I kind of was dumb about it in a sense, um, but also because I just applied to a ton of places, even taking into account that range that I should look at, I was like, okay, everything in there, I'm just going to apply. Um, but it was also a strange year because it was a COVID year and there were all these articles coming out about how people are jumping out of the job market and applying to business school. So I was like, I, uh, I will be damned if I do not get in <laughs> this year was my, my feeling. So I ended up applying to a ton of places. And then this crazy thing happened, which was that I got into Ross, which is where I am now. And uh, all the schools that, let's say in very blunt terms, were, you know, ranked above Ross uh, denied me. And all the schools that were ranked, let's say, below me waitlisted me. And it was a very clear signal that Ross is where I should go. Had I had more options on the table, of course, I would have done things a little bit differently. I would have 
been on the phone with current students and saying, oh, should I go there? You know, trying to figure out what my place was. But it was like the, it was like a Harry Potter sorting hat situation where they said, you're, you're going to Ross because that's where you belong. And I've been very happy here. Uh, So uh, there's a lot of uh, wisdom in that process, I think on the admission side. Yeah, I think also, like, it does happen for some people that you get into a position where you're, like, deciding between schools and, you know, you're going through that, so like, whole informational interview process. But I think there are also a, a huge chunk of people who get into grad school and have, like, one option. Yeah. And that's where they go. And I think it's honestly something that maybe people don't talk about enough because the fact of the matter is, is that, like, then it becomes a question of like, do you want the degree? And being reflective about why you want the degree, as it sounds like you have been at sort of each step in terms of like the MFA program and then getting an MBA, like thinking about like, what, you know, why am I going after this and thinking seriously about it rather than getting sort of bogged down in the weeds about this choice versus that choice. So what have you liked about business school so far and what do you think is someone something someone might not like about business school even if it doesn't bother you let me maybe take a different approach and go like okay what what was i expecting and what were the revelations for business school um and it's these revelations are things that i find myself having to tell friends of mine and certainly family of mine um particularly parents when they say, are you studying hard enough? And I'm like, that's not the point. (laughs) There are several things that you can juggle as a student. One is academics, obviously. The other one is getting a job, recruiting. Another one is social, you know, building out your your friend group. This is a very quick two years. So making a broad group of friends and and having a handful that you go deep with uh, is something that's important. Uh, and then of course, like the sleep and relaxation, um, that sort of stuff, uh, is the other thing to juggle for me. I've approached the academic side in terms of it being a way of making myself familiar with a discipline without truly learning. So I get the gist of finance, but I, I, I didn't learn it, you know, um, but I know in my future jobs, if I have a problem that is finance related, I'll be able to go, oh, that's a finance problem. I should go talk to somebody over in finance. Ditto marketing, certainly accounting, all these different statistics. So, so having, having that know-how uh, or, or just experience with those things, a broad range of new things. And then the recruiting side for me, well, let's start with students in general. Um, you have students who come in and they either know what they want to do or they don't know what they want to do. Uh, the students who come in and they know what they want to do, it's pretty clear cut. And usually that's like people who want to go into consulting. It's sort of a stereotype, but it, I think it's pretty true. They're like, I, I know I want to be a consultant. So they do all the things they need to do and they go and get their consulting job. And then there are people who maybe on the other side don't really know what they want to do. and in addition to the networking and the learning how to interview stuff, they have to do a lot of soul searching about what they want to do and a lot of learning about what other industries are uh, and what different functions within those industries are. And I was very much in that category. So that was my main project for 
the, the last year, the first year of the education. And it took a long time to learn that stuff, uh, being a quote unquote non-traditional candidate. And then social side was very interesting. I, I had some conversations with uh, MBA twos who were approaching graduation and uh, talking about, you know, how, how did your friend group come together and like how would you describe your your social group and they were like well really like i have kind of a a core group like i was saying earlier kind of core group and then know a lot of other people and um i would say yeah i i feel like in undergrad my friend group only really emerged like halfway through my junior year you know so like and this degree is only two years long right and they're like yeah exactly bingo and um, a, a very wise MBA one friend of mine said, um, you know, I'm just going to treat this like it's a springboard for future relationships, you know, and that I know I'm not going to get to know anybody super, super, super well here, but then I'll be in Chicago or I'll be in New York or I'll be in the Bay Area and other rosters will be there who I know and and relationships will form. I think that's kind of wise, uh, a wise approach. And then the, <laughs> the rest and relaxation, I've always been pretty good at. <laughs> so I, I've been able to fit that in. Good, <laughs> good. So in terms of the soul searching, I, I have sort of two questions about that. One is, you know, I've heard that, and, and this has actually come up in other episodes, I've heard that like applying to business school, it's really important that you craft a narrative in your application process about sort of why you want to go to business school and what very specifically you want to do when you come out on the other side. So what did you say for that? And then, well, let's start with that. And then we'll, I'll ask you about your soul searching more. Okay. What did I say was my story? I think I said, oh yeah, yeah. I I said that I wanted to go into tech and I said that I wanted to do like art world innovation within the tech world because the art world is so, you know, anywhere from mom and pop businesses to just like behind what everyone else is doing. Not a lot of disruption, certainly not tech disruption. Uh, so I said that I wanted to do that within the art world. And, and I'll say like, I think the strength of that was that I had it, the tech part of things hit upon initiatives that I had undertaken at the gallery and successfully implemented, it also, like, I wasn't saying that I just want to go work for Amazon, you know, as a product manager, which feels like a big leap for someone who was just at an art gallery. So it was like, it was tech, but staying within the art world, if that makes sense. Aspirational, but the narrative was continuing. Yeah, definitely. And as you've been sort of soul searching and thinking about functions and industries, what have you sort of found so far? Uh, I started out thinking um, CPG companies. Um, so those are, that stands for consumer packaged goods. Think bleach Cheetos, Cheez-Its, um, Oreos. Um, yeah. Uh, stuff at the grocery store, basically. And a Target and Walmart. Um and I really gravitated toward that because a lot of MBAs who go with those companies become brand managers. 
and it's a very cross-functional role. You're sort of like a mini CEO uh, within the team that works on Cheetos or, you know, or, or the bleach or whatever. Um, and that role really mirrored what I was doing at the gallery as the director. Um, so I, I went after that, um, was unsuccessful in the recruiting process, had to step back and do the more soul searching. Um, and I realized that maybe I was not as jazzed about, um, those companies, uh, and maybe not as jazzed about the products and that, that I needed to go with a company that felt more energetic and that was very, um, customer centric really understood their customers and made all of their decisions uh in order to serve that customer and that they had a business model that supported all of that uh so there weren't any conflicting interests there and um oh there was a third one that i was thinking of oh uh and the the third would be um having a product or a service that uh i found compelling I think that goes a long ways toward having longevity at a company, for me at least. Yeah, definitely. And so where did that leave you? Mm, uh, So uh, I was applying to everything from like retail companies um, to tech companies and ended up, uh, I'll be at Indeed for the summer, um, working on a team that essentially reviews the existing portfolio of products and figures out how to make them better, how to make them more profitable. And occasionally, I think, um, looks at, at starting new, new, uh, new products. So looking back sort of over all of these experiences that you've had, how have your priorities changed since, uh, you were in college and coming right out of college? My priorities have not changed very much. I, I still have my studio practice. I just closed a show last month. I'm using my time here between school ending and the internship starting to do studio stuff. It's still that like William Carlos Williams model of having the day job and, um, and having something on the side that you're really, really passionate about. I think the adjustment in the future, of course, is going to be around hours that I'm working. Uh, and that will definitely, definitely be an adjustment. But sure, I'm sure I can do it. <laughs> I'm sure I can do it. And looking back, what do you think is the best career advice you've gotten? I'm not sure I've ever really gotten solid career advice. Again, I don't know. I'm so strong-headed that maybe I've never even heard the advice, whether it was good or bad. Um, I always had a very like strong intuition about what I wanted. Um, and uh, I don't even know if that's advice that I would give to other people. Um, but I've, I've had like a, a nice mix of um, like a hold on loosely thing uh, where I know what I want, but... I'm also open to change and uh, and going in another direction. And I've never been a person who has been caught up in the rat race ever, ever, ever. Um, always just interested in doing what I want to do, and and assuming that's going to lead into good places. Um, understanding always that that has to be met with hard work. Um, you can't you can't just sit on the porch, you know, 
um, as much as you might want to. Um, and what advice would you have for someone who's coming out of college and thinks that they want to, you know, try to continue their their art career in some capacity? Um, understand that you're almost certainly not going to make money doing it ever. Um, and even if you go through a period where you are making money doing it, understand that those times usually don't last. Um, also, like, make sure that you're doing it for the right reason. I think so many young artists want to do it because they want to be part of a scene or like they want to be, they want to be perceived in a certain way. Um, you just have to be obsessed with what you're doing. You just have to be obsessed. Um, like I go back to, uh, there's a great artist, um, who died a couple of years ago, John Baldessari, who has his advice for young artists. I think it's something, there are three points. I think it's something like, um, you, you have to be in the right place at the right time. Um, Oh, talent is cheap. That's a big one. Talent is cheap. Uh, and uh, three, you have to be obsessed, which you cannot will. I would say I would give John Balasari's advice to a young artist. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to cover? No, I don't think so. If people want to go see the website, uh, michaelpatrickobrien.info. Plug that. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Like what you're hearing? Take a moment to follow, rate, and review this podcast. If you want to be super extra supportive, share it with a friend. I also want to hear from you. If you have a suggestion for a specific guest or if there's a type of job, role, or company you'd like me to explore, let me know. Just send your suggestions to what do people do all day 2022 at gmail.com. See you next week.